So, a bit of a test. Does anyone remember what I spoke on last week? Who was here? No one remember? Yep. Yep, number. What were the numbers about? What were they relating to? Relationships. Yep, relationships. Anyone want to add to that? No? I started with the premise of what success looks like. And, uh, and what does success look, look like from, from Jesus' point of view? Yeah. What was his, his measure of success for? For kingdom? Making disciples. Yep, making disciples was, was his measure of success, that there would be multiplication, which is the kingdom. That's right. Okay, harder test. The week before. What happened the week before? Sorry? Kate spoke. Storms, correct. Kate spoke on storms. The week before that. Oh, now I'm testing you. Whole three weeks ago. Very good. 1 Thessalonians. Just the first little snippet of 1 Thessalonians, um, where Paul just encourages the church of the goodness that's there, that's present in the church. And how often we forget that, that often we look back to the good days and worried about today and hopeful for tomorrow, but we forget that God's goodness is here. Now, interestingly, Tanya asks the question, you know, what's God wanting to say? And I asked that question early in the week, as I do each week, and um, God's brought to mind 1 Thessalonians 2. And I was like, this is embarrassing. I read, this, I read the whole of Thessalonians a couple of weeks ago and I have no idea what 1 Thessalonians 2 is about. I remember what 1 Thessalonians 1 is about, but I better go and read it. And as I'm reading it, I was like, oh, I can see what you're doing here, God. This is really cool because this flows on from what I shared last week. Because last week I was talking about the importance and significance and the, the idea of what success looks like and that discipleship is central to that. The agenda and the purpose of the church is to make disciples that make disciples. That was the last mandate that Jesus set. And what we look at in 1 Thessalonians 2 is Paul sharing with the Thessalonian church what he'd done when he was there previously. It's actually a template in a way of what discipleship looks like. He goes through and shows them what he did previously. And I actually want to start at the end of 1 Thessalonians 2 because he, in, in this uh, 19 and 20, he shares the message from last week. This is his punchline for this little section. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. How cool is that? So he's writing to the Thessalonians to say, you are my trophy. You are my joy. You are my glory. Because his measure of success, his mission is disciple makers. And he's saying to this church, you are. You're the fruit. You're the product. And you're the thing that I'm celebrating and rejoicing. So let's go back and see what he actually did to get to the place of that place of rejoicing. He starts in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. In other words, it was fruitful. It was a fruitful time. 
But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, now um, we know from Acts that, um, that they were whipped, they were put in stocks and imprisoned in Philippi, really not not a cool experience so that was their experience he goes on to say we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in our midst of much conflict so already we've got this initial position of boldness in God in spite of conflict in spite of hardship and challenges they're going no we're going to stand strong and be bold in God that's our posture as we approach this idea of discipling, as we, as we came to you. He goes on to say, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So again, we start to see motive. We start to see this pure motive of going, we weren't here to try and show off or impress you with our words. We weren't here to be greedy. We weren't here even... With the words of man, we came with God's heart. We came with God's heart. Interestingly, they could have, um, and this is one we struggle with, our, our, our justice streak often says, it's unjust, I've got to fight for it. And, uh, and here they actually point out, they didn't even claim the things that they deserved. They were worthy of receiving honour, they were worthy of receiving payment for their labour. They didn't even take it. So often we go, you know, it's... Um, it's unjust. I deserve it. I've got to fight for it. They point out that they weren't even fighting for what they deserved. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own child. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So we start seeing a picture of what discipling looks like on the ground. Being like a mother that shows affectionate care for her children. Affectionate care. Not just because we want to flog the gospel, but because we actually want to share ourselves because we love you. It's a really significant posture to have, like a mother to you. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we were proclaiming to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. So again, they were modeling what it was they were talking about. They weren't just talking hot air and nice ideas, but they were saying, we came to you and postured ourselves, we modeled ourselves in a way that shows what it is to be a disciple. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So we've had the mother side of discipling. Now we get the father side of discipling. And not all mothers and fathers, this is, a, this is obviously a stereotype, uh, are quite like this. But 
What is it that they're saying like a father we should do when we disciple, that, that, that they, that Paul and Timothy did when they were discipling? What did they do? They exhorted, they exhorted, they encouraged, they charged. But it was on the premise that God has called them into his own kingdom and glory. It's that sense of value and significance that God has already placed in the people that is the foundation going on here. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. I'm going to stop there. This can sometimes feel very out there. It's someone talking about a distant country and a distant scenario. Last week, we talked a lot about the one, the three, the, seven, the 12, the 72, and the, and the multitudes. The different relationships that Jesus had with different people. And when we think about our relationships and this passage, there's so much in this passage that shows us that discipleship is not a program, is not a, something that we do in a one-hour slot every fortnight, but it's actually a way of life. It's actually a way that we interact with people. We have an opportunity to disciple on a Sunday morning. Those who are going to the Southern Cross uh, Kids Club have an opportunity to disciple intentionally. Those who are having lunch at some point today, whoever they're having lunch with, have an opportunity to disciple in that context. Paul is he's talking specifically about what he did, but he's sharing it with the Thessalonians as a model for what discipleship looks like, as a template as a, and as an example. He's saying, this is what we did to you and you now are pioneer churches that get to do this for others. You get to be this for other people. So we start with what success looks like. And success looks like for the glory and the joy of the people that are part of the kingdom, that have received God, that, that know him and are now disciples. That's what success looks like. Verse 1 talks about being fruitful. We didn't come and waste our time with you. It wasn't in vain. We were fruitful. Verse 2 talks about perseverance and boldness. And it's not any perseverance and boldness. It's one that's in God. Because you don't feel particularly uh, like persevering and bold when you're in stocks in a prison being whipped. I don't think when, when Jesus talks about joy, he's talking about enjoyment of the act. It's a joy that goes beyond the circumstance. Verse 3 to 6 talks about these pure motives that they were approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. They spoke because God had set them apart. Every believer is approved by God to speak. Every believer is to be a witness, to testify to what God's done in their life. You are approved by God to speak. You don't have to be ordained. You don't have to have the pastor title on you. You don't have to have leader written on you to be able to speak what God has for you to share. You're actually set apart because you are Jesus' follower. There was no distinction bet between some and others. If you were Jesus' disciple, you went out in pairs and you shared the good news, the good news of the kingdom. So often the motive is twisted up in, in, um, in duty or in guilt or in, in these weird things that we, we wrestle with inside. But God has released us as his children with his spirit to empower us to go and share the good news. That's part of what being a disciple is. And sure, that happens in formal environments, but it doesn't just happen when you do Alpha 
or search to find. It happens in every single relationship that you have. It can happen in every single relationship that you have. But the motive comes out of the fact that we are equipped and enabled and set apart for a purpose. The aim is to please God, not man. If the aim of the church was to get as many bums on seats as we could, it would be much, much better for us to run a movie every week. If we turned this place into a cinema, we would get a lot of people here, yeah? Especially if we made it free and it was the latest release movie, we'd pack this place out. It would be phenomenal. But the aim is not to please man. That's not God's agenda. God has a purpose and agenda that we are called to. And they went into this scenario going, we're not here to please man, but to please God. They also had integrity. In terms of their motives, they had integrity. Really significant. Verse 7 to 8. They had genuine care, a mother-like care. Sometimes that's really hard. Sometimes that's, that's really hard. And there's circumstances where you really don't feel like caring for someone. They don't deserve it. They've done everything to resist your care. They've rejected what it is that you're offering. And so you just go, stuff them. They don't deserve it. They don't even want it. But here we see discipleship is like a care a mother has for a child. You don't walk away from it. It's something that goes your whole lifetime from the moment they're born to the moment that one of you die. The care continues through the pain and the hardship, through the tough stuff. A genuine care that is de- de- gentle and the, the um, ESV translation says affectionately desirous. I had to look up another translation to find out what that meant. Fond affection. Fond affection is, uh, is another translation. I don't use either of those words. Um, affectionately desirous. But there's a bond there that's significant. It's a genuine love for people. Verse 9, not a burden. This is a really tough one. And, and I, even, I even see this in, in close friends. Uh, particularly kids, you see it, but adults are a little bit more subtle but have the same problem. They want it to be balanced so that if I give 50%, you'll give 50%. And I'm going to maybe hold back 5%, so I'm going to give 45 in case you only give 45 and we make sure that I'm not giving more than you are to the relationship. We do this game where we go, this has to be equal. Hang on, I went round your place last week, so now you've got to come round to my place this week. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, we have this game that we play, and, it, and marriages are the same. If we start with this idea of what can I take, you're only going to lose. If you want the relationship to be something to make sure I get my 50% of this relationship, it's going to be a strained relationship. A, it's going to be stressed because you've got to measure it all the time. But B, it's about what you take, not what you can give. And they very clearly went, we're here to love sacrificially. We do not want to be a burden. We do not want to weigh people down. And so this is part of the challenge of activate groups, ID groups, families, any relationship. You've got workplaces. As soon as the, the weight of the relationship turns to a, to a receiving rather than a giving relationship... It's messy. It's really, really messy. And, and you've seen it in workplaces. I've seen it in workplaces. I've seen it in families. It's a really tough space. But if you want to be a Jesus disciple, your posture has to be, I want to give. Now, I've got to have something to give. So I'm not saying pour yourself out, beat yourself up, wait till you're half dead, and then hope God revives you. That's not his plan either. 
He does want you to rest. He does want you to restore. He does want people in your lives to sow into your life. You've got to pursue those things. But if you're discipling, if you're the way you see your kids, the way you see your workmates, you want to share God's love with them, it's got to be a posture of not burdening, but giving them an opportunity to receive. We don't like this one. Should we skip it? Move on? Maybe not. It's actually really significant in the New Testament. Time and time again, a lot of the letters talk about right living, righteousness, holiness, blamelessness. And we get all twisted because we look at this like it's a rule book. It's not a rule book. It's an opportunity for freedom. It's a brilliant opportunity to live freely, to live the design that God designed for us. This is a really significant part that we don't like talking about. And we don't like talking about it because none of us measure up. And that is the amazing part of grace, that, that our measure of success isn't based on this. Did you notice that? Do you notice we're not measured by our self-righteousness, our holiness? This is the freedom that we get to operate in once we are saved. Our salvation doesn't come here. This is the opportunity that we get after it. To live lives that aren't regimented and restricted and constrained and legalistic but are free to function the way God designed us to be. So basically, if God's telling us something, if God's asking us to do something, if God says that this is how life should look like um, in my kingdom, in my way of doing things, it's the best for us. It's not a rule that's trying to condemn us. It's a suggestion that says, if you want abundant life, hey, this is what it looks like. So these guys went into this scenario to disciple people and they went, we lived lives that reflected what God was telling us to live like. We actually modeled to you what a disciple's life looks like. I had someone ask, and I think I've asked this question before, ask a really challenging question at a, um, a discipleship uh, event that we went to. And the question was, if a non-believer came and spent a week with you, would they walk away saying, I want to live life like you live. I want your life. I want what you do, not what I do. Would they walk away inspired by the way we live? Again, don't get legalistic. Please don't get legalistic. But in terms of modeling, in terms of testifying to God's amazing abundant life that he offers, does my life look like an amazing abundant life that he offers? Because if it doesn't, it's probably because I'm not paying attention to what he's asked me to do. But there is an opportunity in our discipling to actually model what abundant life looks like. That's part of discipling is to say, I'm a Jesus follower. My life is different because I'm a Jesus follower and I actually want to celebrate and rejoice that and it's, and it's fantastic. I'm not trying to say life's all put together. I'm not trying to say life's easy. But you look at their circumstances, it wasn't easy either. They had people choosing to follow them after they heard that the previous town they were in, they got flogged and put in prison and put in stocks, right? This is the credentials of the guys coming to share the gospel. Not particularly pleasant credentials, but the way that they shared the good news of Jesus and the lives that they reflected and modelled showed that it was still worth following God and living this abundant life in spite of that potential that was, would happen to them in Philippi. It's phenomenal. Exhorted, encouraged and charged, father-like. Who likes being exhorted? A few people. Who likes being told they've got something wrong? Yeah, a few people, not many. <laughs> it depends who says it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And how? Yep. I think not just Catalyst, but Catalyst as well, has a problem with this. We have a problem with this partly because your leaders are pastors and like to make you feel comfortable. And that's a problem because, yes, the Holy Spirit is our comforter, but Jesus came for the sick, not for the well. And if you're sick, you don't need comfort. Panadol only lasts so long. You actually need healing. And so Jesus came to heal those that were sick, not to comfort them. And you even see examples where Jesus was happy for people to go away sad, having known the truth and chosen to reject it, than to give them a nice message that they like to hear. This is a problem. And the problem starts not with the person sharing, but with the person receiving. Because we so easily get offended. We so easily get offended. We hate people telling us that something might not be right. Who are they to do that? What right do they have? They're not right either. I know things about them that show that they're not perfect. Maybe I should start telling them about the about their things that... Again, it's this take mentality, not give mentality. See how that's easily switched? But our offence then means let's not say how things are, let's not talk about real life, let's not talk in a way that actually puts God's standards where they should be, let's tiptoe around things. It's really easy for us to talk about things like gay marriage because that's not my scenario. It's a lot harder for us to talk about things that are closer to home. And there's people who say our society's getting worse, there's things going on, look at that that they're doing and look at that that they're doing. But I would argue there's things that are happening here that aren't healthy either. We have a problem with pornography in the church. We have a problem with alcohol consumption in the church. We have a problem with, and I'm, I'm not talking about Catalyst, I'm talking generally. Please don't feel like I'm pointing fingers at anyone. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> So I'm not, sorry, I'm, I'm talking wider church, not Catalyst. Um, but some of this you might own. We, we do have a problem with sex before marriage in church. Why aren't we fighting and lobbying for that when we go and picket and, and argue and say, we have a problem in our society with, with prostitution. But we've all just gone, oh, they're a little bit too close to home. Let's talk about something that's out there that we can pick on over there and not deal with the stuff that's here. If we want to be disciples, we actually want to be vulnerable to grow and learn. And part of that means we have to exhort, we have to encourage, and we have to charge to say, this is what God's called us to be. Let's not fall short. Let's not seek something that's lower, that's, that's second rate, that's baked, that makes me feel comfortable. God, bring healing in my life because that is the answer. The power of your spirit in my life is the answer not the comfort of being told you're okay. It's all good. Ignore it. Bury it under the carpet. If there's problems, let's deal with them in love like a mother cares for her child. Yeah? You can't have one without the other. Notice they've got the father and the mother in the picture. It's a God-designed thing. You need the, the love and nurture and care. What was the phrase? Affectionately desirous care of a mother and the exhorting and the encouragement and charge of the father we don't often hear the passage that says god disciplines the ones he loves we don't like that so much but the affectionous love of a mother is the same love that exhorts and encourages 
and charges. So if we want to grow in discipleship, we've got to let down some of our pride and our sense of, what was the word I used before? Offence. Yeah, a sense of offence. And this one is really cool. Healthy perspective of their roles. I'm not sure if you picked up on it, but that last little bit, he says, we thank God constantly. We thank God constantly. Why? Because it wasn't them that were the amazing people in the scene. It was God that was working through them and through the people already. And God was doing awesome stuff. And so they say, we thank God constantly for what happened. We thank him that you didn't receive words of man, but you received the words of God. That your spirit was alive and working and revealing God to you. That the word of God that was at work in you believers. How do you feel about this picture? How do you, honestly, how do you feel about it? Needs to be relationship. Absolutely. And that was the foundation I set last week. It has to come out of relationship. Obedience to Christ, trust in the Holy Spirit and relationship were the three things I referred to last week. You cannot do this without relationship. It is fundamental. And Jesus' model was a highly relational model. No confusion there. Absolutely. Does it feel achievable? Lower the bar a bit? Okay, so here's a question. If you could drop one of these, which one would you drop? Like, I'm going to ask you all in a second. So you've got to have an answer. If you, if you could drop one, which one would you drop? Sorry, I'm in the way. Okay, so let's start from fruitful. Hands up if you'd love, love to drop fruitful from the picture. That's all right. That's a bit of an airy-fairy, fluffy thing, isn't it? <laughs> we can say we want to be fruitful, but, you know, if I was to next ask how many disciples have you made in your life? Oh, hang on, maybe we don't want to be fruitful. Okay, let's move on. Um, perseverance and boldness. We've got a couple. One, yep. Drop perseverance and boldness. Two. Pure motives. Who dropped pure motives? Yep, one. Yep. Beautiful. Genuine care, mother-like care. Who dropped that? Yep, a couple. Yep, it's good. This is real life, guys. Not a burden. Yep, a few not a burdens. Blameless, holy and righteous. Yep, exhort, encourage, charge, father-like. That's me, I've got work to do. Healthy perspective of their role. Healthy perspective, no, no healthy perspective of the role. Awesome. The reason I asked that question is because to grow and to learn and to, to disciple and be discipled is actually a space of wanting to wrestle with these hard things. And um, I actually want to end in that place because this is something that I believe God is exhorting us, God is encouraging us and God is charging us with the responsibility to be disciples that disciple. And the first person that's got that under control, I'm going to give you the mic. You can have it because I'm not there. But I do see a picture that we have to follow. I do see the example of Paul and of Jesus and of the disciples in the Acts church. You see a picture of what it looks like to be a disciple that disciples. And I want to put my hand up and say, I want that to be me. But I can't put my hand up and say, I want that to be me if I'm not prepared to acknowledge the areas that I struggle with. Too often we see spiritual gifts like the Christian version of star signs, right? Where you go, oh, so my spiritual gift is this, so I don't have to care for anyone because I'm just an administrator. 
and administrators don't care for people. That's what pastors do, <laughs> right? Sorry, I'm just seeing things happening in the room, people pointing fingers or nudging people next to them. Okay, but it happens all the time. You know, I have a gift of, of mercy, so that means I don't have to do this. Absolute load of rubbish. This list is for every single believer. None of us get a get-out-of-jail-free card, not that we want one, because we'd love to look like this. And I'd love to be modelling this for my kids so that my kids see what a disciple looks like and follow my example, like I follow Paul and Paul follow Christ or whatever it might be. This is not something that I'm burdened by. It's something that I'm excited by that I see the potential of the Holy Spirit alive and working in me to bring fruitfulness. So those things that you either put your hand up for, because I don't think everyone put their hand up, interestingly, but I know in your heart there was things that you look at and go, that, that looks too hard for me. I am convinced that when you are weak, God is strong. So in that place of weakness, you need to trust God to empower you, to give you opportunities to have a go in that area, not to shy away. I don't need to exhort less. And that way, I'll, all my exhorting's awesome. If I don't ever try to exhort anyone, then my exhorting's 10 out of 10, isn't it? But I actually need to do more exhorting to get into a space of trusting that the Holy Spirit's going to meet me in that place. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this picture. This picture that Paul has painted of how he interacted with the Thessalonians. I thank you so much that you have given us this picture to teach us, to encourage us, to exhort us and to charge us to the mission that you have called every single one of your believers. Lord, aspects of this are daunting and we need to rely on your spirit to lead, to guide, to equip, to enable. Lord, I pray you would increase our faith to trust you in these places, to trust you when we are struggling, when we are weak, when we are vulnerable, when we feel incapable. Lord, I would Pray that you would remind each and every person here of the calling and the value and significance that you have on their life and the investment of your spirit that is like a trophy, an inheritance, a, a reminder of the eternal value that you've placed, but is also an equipper, an enabler, and the power by which you move and work. Father, I pray that you would release more of your spirit um, Activity, Lord God, actions, purpose in this place, not for our glory, but for your glory, not for our kingdoms, but for your kingdom, not for our gain, but for the gain of so many people that have no idea what a disciple is or what it looks like. Continue to teach us, Lord. I pray, Lord, you'll continue to give us opportunities to practice, to exercise, to rub shoulders with those on the journey and to learn and to grow on what it means to be a disciple that disciples. We thank you in advance and we rejoice in what's coming, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.